Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 39, page 550 of your Book of Praise. There we have God's word summarized as follows. What does God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. Submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 25, stanzas 5, 6, and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, that's also you, young people. The Lord God has given us ten commandments. That is the summary of his will for our lives. Only ten. And so, each one of those commandments is important. One of those commandments concerns our relationship with our parents. For that reason, we had better pay attention. We cannot just skip over this commandment. For this is one of the most difficult commandments for us to keep. It is also one of the most important ones. And that is why, at the start of the second part of the law, dealing with our relationship to our neighbor, that is the first commandment in that section that he gives us. If you get this one right, then all the other ones will automatically fall into place. The Lord God tells us that we must honor our parents. Lord's Day 39 even takes it one step further and says that we must love them. Indeed, love is the fulfillment of the law. That's hard, isn't it? It's especially hard if you have parents who are not easy to love. If you have parents who deeply hurt you when you grew up. If you had parents who treated you with contempt, who did nothing but criticize you and made your life miserable who were not there for you when you needed them, who neglected you or abused you either mentally or physically or sexually. Do we also have to love them? It's a good question to ask. It is important that we give the correct answer to this. For by extension, the love for our parents also extends to all those who are in authority over us. It extends to our teachers, teachers, to our bosses, to the government and all their agents, such as policemen, the taxmen, the parking attendant, etc. It also extends to the umpire on the baseball field and to the referee on the soccer field or the hockey arena. If you do not learn to honor your father and your mother, then you will not honor others who are in a relationship of authority over you. And then it will not go well with you in the land that the Lord God has given you to live in. And so the question is, do I have to love my parents no matter what? That's also the theme for this afternoon's sermon. 
as you will see, the answer is yes. But in so doing, you have to consider three things. Namely, that you can only do it, in the first place, on the basis of God's grace. Secondly, in total obedience to God alone. And then thirdly, under God's blessing. Paul has a lot to say in Ephesians 4 and 5 about relationships. He tells us in a general way how to conduct ourselves as Christians in our relationship to others. He warns against sexual immorality, against greed and idolatry, against the fruitless deeds of mark of darkness and against drunkenness and the like. In short, he warns us against sinful and selfish behavior. Such behavior breaks down our relationship with God and our neighbor, especially our parents. However, he prefaces all these warnings in chapter 5, verse 1, by first telling us what Christ has done. He tells us to live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The only way that we can be in a proper relationship with each other is if we do what Christ has done, for it says that we must be imitators of him. That has been God's command right from the beginning. That was so in paradise before the fall into sin and also after the fall into sin. It says, for example, in Leviticus 19, verse 2, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Can you imagine what that implies? To be holy means to be pure. It means to be without sin. It means that you live a life different from other people. It means that you live a life of total love for God and your fellow man. That is how God loves us. Think about how he has shown that love, uh, that love to us. It says in John 15 verse 13, Greater love has no man, has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Indeed, your very life is the most unselfish gift you can give for another human being. It is the ultimate sacrifice to give you life so that someone whom you love can live. But would you do that for your enemy? Would you give your life for a child molester, for example? Would you give your life for some low-life criminal? Would you, even if he did repent, give your life for Muammar Gaddafi? I doubt it very much. But that is what the Son of God did. That is what he says in Romans 5, verse 10, where it says that even though we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Let's let that sink in, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. The Son of God gave his precious life for his enemies. What kind of people are we? Lawbreakers, sinners, indeed. Oh, sure, you know that already. But do you know what the biggest obstacle is to our relationship? The biggest obstacle, of course, is sin. But there is an even bigger obstacle than that. There is something that plays an even greater role, and that is our inability and our unwillingness to see our own sin. Let me state that again. 
the biggest obstacle to having good relationship with God and our neighbor, our parents, and with all those who are part of our lives is our unwillingness to see our own sin. That is the greatest obstacle. Charles W. Colson writes about that in his book, Loving God. As you know or may not know, Colson was one of the men who was convicted along with President Nixon of the United States in the Watergate scandal of obstruction of justice. He served seven months in a prison cell and was later converted to Christianity. The Watergate scandal was one of the biggest political upheavals of the last century, and Colson was right into the thick of it. The media frequently asked him which of his Watergate perfidies caused him the greatest remorse. Invariably, he would tell them that it was, in effect, the hidden sins of his heart that bothered him the most. He said that his Watergate wrongs could be explained as political zealotry, misplaced idealism, blind obedience to higher authority, or even capitulation to the natural temptation of the human will. But the realization of his total depravity, of the darkness within his own heart, is what made him feel more guilty than anything else. He remembered a small incident in his own life that really brought that home. As a young Marine lieutenant, he remembered enjoying humiliating and robbing a poor old man of all his earthly possessions. Although he was in his legal right to do so, he realized later, after his conversion, what a horrible thing he had done. He actually enjoyed doing that at that time, and he realized what a depraved man he is in his heart. He found that same kind of thing illustrated in the book Confessions by Augustine. In that book, which he read while he was in prison, which was written some 1,800 years ago, Augustine tells the story of his youthful escapade when he stole, together with a group of youngsters, pears from a neighbor's tree. Together they shook down and robbed this tree of most of its pears. They didn't do it for their own eating, for Augustine had pear trees of his own in his parents' garden, but they stole those pears to throw them at pigs. And he, together with his buddies, had great fun in doing this. He stole those pears for the pure enjoyment of stealing. That was an incident that bothered him more than anything else. And he keeps referring to that incident in his book, Confessions. Contemporary critics mock him for his seeming obsession with the pear trees episode. They wonder... Why would one harmless prank loom so large in Augustine's mind? He had much greater sins on his conscience. He had taken a mistress, fathered a child out of wedlock, and indulged in every fleshly passion. However, Augustine saw in this pair incident his true nature and the nature of all mankind, namely that in each of us there is sin, not just susceptibility to sin, but sin itself. It is baked in. It is our nature to sin. We even delight in sinning. 
R.C. Sproul puts it this way. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Let me say that again. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. In other words, there is something so fundamentally wrong with each and every one of us that we cannot help but do wrong against God and against other people. The problem is that we do not want to own up to that. The problem is that we do not see ourselves that way. We would rather blame others. We would rather blame Satan or blame our circumstances. We want to put the onus on other people. We want to blame our upbringing. But the Lord Jesus clearly states that which is fundamentally wrong with us. He says in Matthew 15, verse 18 and following, But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. I once visited an old Christian lady in a nursing home. It wasn't anybody from our church. She was well into her 90s. She had had a hard life. And now her family hardly ever visited her. She was alienated from most of them. In my conversation with her, I asked her whether or not her sins bothered her. And then she said to me, Reverend, what can I do wrong here in this nursing home? I can't go anywhere and I hardly ever see anybody or talk to anybody. What in the world could I be doing wrong? And then I thought to myself, it is no wonder that she has had such difficulties in her life with her children. She doesn't realize that she's a sinner. She doesn't realize how she sins against others all the time, even in her thoughts. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, it may strike you time and again that in the preaching we go back to our sins and misery. And that may bother some of you. But do you know why that is done? It is done because without that knowledge you cannot have a proper knowledge about your relationship with God and about your relationship with others especially your parents. And that is why the first answer that the catechism gives us to how we can live and die in the comfort of the knowledge that we belong to God is that we must know our sins and misery first. For it is only once you realize that that you can be truly humble, that you can be truly compassionate and loving and caring for those whom God has put in your path. Your neighbor, your mom and dad, For a convicted sinner knows what a great gift salvation is. He knows that he is not any better than anyone else. He knows that potentially he is also that murderer, that abuser, that addict. And when you realize from what you have been delivered, then you are thankful. Then you are grateful to God what he has done for you. And then you do not look down at others. You're humble. Then you realize that it is only because of God's grace that you are alive. 
that you may exist before him as his covenant child, that you may exist in a relationship with God and with others. Only when you have that knowledge will you be able to have patience with the weaknesses and shortcomings of your parents and all those in authority over you. Only then will you treat them with compassion and with kindness and love. And you do that in spite of the many things that they have done wrong against you. I know you may question that. You may question that especially if your parents have deeply hurt you. How can I love them? How can I honor them? Well, you can only do that in obedience to God's law. And that's the second point. Again, I want to remind you of the first verse of chapter 5 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It speaks there about how Christ has loved us. What exactly is that act of love of, of his? How did he love us? Well, he loved us by keeping the law. First of all, by actively keeping the law. That is to say, he did everything that God commanded of him. He was in total conformity to the law. He never once harbored evil thoughts against his Father in heaven. And he never once had any evil thoughts against us as believers. He never once did anything in order to hurt us. He did not delight in anything that was remotely connected to the breaking of the law. Okay, you know that as well. But that's not all. He was also passively obedient to the law. In other words, he allowed the sentence of God's wrath upon sin to be executed upon him. For he was treated with contempt. He was humiliated. He was abused. He was put to shame. They even put him to death. And he was put to death not for his own sins, for anything that he had done wrong, but he was put to death for the sin of others. You know that too, don't you? But do you also know how he reacted to that? We read in 1 Peter 2 that he did not retaliate, that he did not make any threats, that he allowed all this to happen to him, and he did it without complaining. He did it in total submission to God's will. How was he able to do that? Well, it says that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, he gave it over to God the Father. In Romans 12, it says that we must leave room for God's wrath. For the Lord God says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. The Lord God tells us that we must love our enemies. Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, if that is the case, then we must surely love our parents, mustn't we? We have to forgive them their sins, just like the Lord Jesus did. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so let me ask you, have you been hurt? Yeah, I know some of you have been really hurt when you were children. Is there hardly a day that goes by 
without remembering what your parents have done to you. And so do you harbor resentment and anger against your parents? If you have been deeply hurt, that's quite understandable. It's a human reaction. But let me tell you, you cannot stay there. If you do, then you sin. Then you do not imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. For you see, you have to come to that point in your life where you are able to go beyond your feelings of hatred and resentment. And you can only do that if you go to the Lord Jesus Christ and put it all on His shoulders. You have to go to his throne of grace and ask him strength to live in the victory that he won for you on the cross. What does that mean? Does that mean that you have to pretend as if nothing happened? Does that mean then that that sin does not have to be dealt with? No, that does not mean that at all. On the contrary... The Lord Jesus did not do that with regard to our sins either, did he? But what did he do instead? Well, he did tell you and me about our sins. He did tell you how we have broken every one of his commandments. You will find that throughout God's word. He tells us how we sin against him every day. But he also did something else. He gave us his Holy Spirit so that our hardened hearts may be softened. So that we may get insight into our own sinful nature. So that in the end, we can go to the throne of grace and ask the Lord for the forgiveness of our sins. And to help us to forgive others. He gently leads us to the truth about ourselves because we are so blind to our own sins. And he does that by first of all showing an open door to God the Father. By showing us and telling us what a merciful God and Father he truly is. By telling us how wonderful it is to be in a good relationship with him. And by emphasizing his love for us and his desire to have us near him and to love us. Brothers and sisters, you and I have to do the same thing. We have to open doors. You have to gently lead those who have sinned against you to the truth. You have to humbly deal with their sins by offering an open door. By being kind and compassionate. Just as the Lord Jesus was. And don't forget, he was sinless. But you and I, we are not. We do things wrong ourselves, also against our own children. And then you don't do this, therefore, in anger or in retaliation, or in a state of depression. No, you try to find ways of reconciliation. And you do it humbly. You do it in the remembrance that you are a sinner, that you too have hurt others, perhaps not in the same way and not to the same extent as others have hurt you. But nevertheless, you and I, we too are sinners. And in the final analysis, you and I are not any better than anyone else. The wrong actions of our parents have consequences also for them. If they have done something against the law, 
such as sexually abusing you, that it may even mean that you have to bring in the authorities so that they can be prevented from doing this to others and so that they can be punished for their actions. You may also have to call in the elders of the church to help you to be reconciled to them. But to be reconciled to them, you must, at least if it depends on you. Sin, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, always have to be dealt with in one way or the other. If the sin is so great that further action is needed, then further action must be taken. If not, then forget it. Forgive and forget. You must always be open to reconciliation, just as our Father in heaven is open to us. The Lord Jesus said to the murderer on the cross that he would be with him in paradise. In other words, because he humbled himself, he was reconciled to God. That was the great love of God to that great sinner. And that's also the great love for you and for me. Of course, not everyone wants to be reconciled to God and to others. They harden themselves in their sins. And sometimes parents may do that as well. But then their sin is upon their own head, not yours. Your happiness and your well-being and your ability to function should not depend any longer on what they have done. As it says in Psalm 27, verse 10, Our father and mother may leave us or reject us, but God never will. He will receive us. No one can separate you from the love of God. And if that is how you deal with those who have sinned against you, then the Lord God will also bless you. He will give you peace. That's the third point. The commandment says that if you honor your father and your mother, that then the Lord will bless you in the Lord your God is in the in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord gave these words to Israel right after they left Egypt. And he repeated those Ten Commandments 40 years later at the end of their journey, just before they entered the promised land. And he is speaking to adults. He is not speaking in the first place to the children that are also standing there. Those children that were standing there at Mount Sinai and those children 40 years later who are about to enter in the promised land were there to learn from their parents. They had to learn from their parents how to implement God's laws, not just in words, but also in deeds. Our children also have to learn from us as adults as to how we treat our parents. Little Ethan Vaining also has to learn from his parents as to how to treat them by the way they treat their parents, the grandparents of Ethan. Children watch us as adults. They especially watch what we do, not so much what we say. And so God gives you and me great responsibility. God wants us to nurture our children and to treat them as we ourselves want to be treated. If that is what you do, then you will also be a great blessing to your children and to your children's children throughout the generations. The Lord God promises that if you listen to your parents, that then it will go well with you. 
that is what God promises. He will give you life. Life in abundance. That is not just automatically the result of listening well to your father and your mother. No, this is a blessing from God. For your parents bring you up, or at least they want to, to bring you up in the ways of the Lord. And in so doing, they teach you to see your own sins. They teach you humility. They teach you compassion. They teach you how to forgive others by their words and their deeds. They teach you how to have peace in your life by denying your own selfish interests and by putting your life in the service of the Lord. They teach you to bring all things before God's throne of grace. Brothers and sisters, no matter then what happens in your life, if that is also how you conduct yourself, then the Lord will carry you and he will bless you. He will bless you in this life and into eternity. That is his wonderful promise to Ethan Fanning, and that's his promise to all of us. Amen. Amen.